and welcome to episode 66 of the Romantic About Baseball podcast. I am your host, Adam C. McKinnon, and joining me today is a longtime friend of the show, uh, even though he this is your first appearance, uh, officially, Jason Turbo. Dude, dude you, you've done 65 of these. Yeah, my first appearance. That's right. It's, it's funny because you did you and I did a video thing um, like I think last year, about a year and a half ago. And we uh, we talked about it was like right during the when the book club was starting up. Jason is an author, but also one of the is the founding member of the uh, pandemic baseball book club, of which I am a member. And I totally cut you off on my introduction. I don't think you even got my name out there. Did you? Did you? I'm going to start this whole thing over. Okay, hold on. I'm a rude guest. (laughs) Keep this in. Keep this in. All right, we're going to keep it over. You're Jason Turbo. This is episode 66 of the Romantic About Baseball podcast, and uh, we're already off to a lively conversation start. This This is what dreams are made of. And what what I am here to talk to you about today is the prescience of your 2010 book, The Baseball Codes. And... I have to know, and, and for those who don't, and you should, but if you don't, Jason wrote the, the book, The Baseball Codes, in 2010, uh, discussing all of the things that we spend obnoxious amounts of time debating now in 2021. So, Jason, I have to ask, did you, you know, in your head, when you wrote this book, I and mean, you put it out 11 years ago, did you think we would still, the conversation would, would have taken this shape this far into the future? Well, it depends what you mean by this shape. I, I, I fully expected the conversation would continue mm-hmm. and, and be continuing. I mean, the, the unwritten rules have been around for as long as there's been baseball. Right. right. As long as there's, there's been actual rules, there's been unwritten rules. And for me, the beauty of them is their evolution over time. This is, it's almost like a sentient creature that's growing and evolving. Uh, and it's, it's very different now than it was even when the book came out 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as, as part of my, um, you know, promotions or part of my, my endeavors to, to make the book relevant, I started blogging about uh, unwritten rules as they happened um, pretty much you know, from, from April on 2010 after the book came out, not really fully synthesizing that I would never stop. Right. Because there's there's always something happening. And right. I've been blogging about them, you know, every week since like there's there's always something to write about. Um, and yeah, what, what they look like now is very, very different. Um, but but that's part of the beauty. And when people decry the unwritten rules of baseball, which they do frequently, mm-hmm. what they are actually doing is decrying traditionalists. And that's fine. It's fine to you know call call the people who don't like celebrations and people who you know, want a pitcher to, to drill somebody to show them a lesson, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's fine to call them stick in the muds, but, but you're not decrying the unwritten rules because the unwritten rules actually are supporting those positions. Like it is now okay to celebrate. It's now frowned upon to drill, drill a guy in response for celebrating things like that. That, that is the active modern version of the unwritten rules and it, it may yet change again, but, but to decry them as a whole is, is to really ignore a lot of what is making baseball work right now. Right. It's it's fascinating to me because what I see as an ongoing conversation, if you ask around like I, you know, and other people I've talked to, it does feel like an ongoing conversation, but it almost feels like maybe there. do you feel like we're at a pivot point with this? Like maybe there really is a uh, a overwhelming change that is that is taking form here. It, it, it. 
it is more overwhelming than at any point since I've been paying attention. Mm-hmm. No question. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not existing. It's just existing in a different form. Uh, I mean, ultimately, these things are all about respect. There's a small sliver of the unwritten rules that are based in, purely in superstition. Yeah. But generally, it's all about respect. Um, you know, respect your team, respect your opponent, respect the game. And if all those boxes are checked, you're good to go. And since Yasiel Puig, more or less, flipping a bat went from disrespectful to acceptable, right? Mm-hmm. So people no longer care about it. There are still many ways to disrespect your team or your opponent or the game that, that will draw attention in, in one or the other of the two clubhouses on the field. Um, I mean, that's, I think, why we had such a, a big brouhaha over your mean Mercedes swinging 3-0. Because most people watching the game, including in Mercedes's own dugout, did not feel it was disrespectful. Uh, unfortunately for him, his manager <laughs> did not share that sentiment. Right. Yeah. And, and that's where we get disconnects, and that where that's where we get these interesting conversations. Do you think for me? And, and you talked about the swinging at three zero. Well, the swinging at three zero. You know, the the real taking off point for that was the guy who seems to kind of be at the center of a lot of this conversation, warranted or not, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr. uh, It it seems like almost behind, he seems to be the guy that kind of the, in the, you know, to quote uh, Reggie, um, um, you know, Mr. October, right? Uh, That was Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson. I don't know why I started on that. The, uh, the straw that stirs the drink, but it almost feels like it's like a, He's, he's part of a class. He may be the leader of this class, but you're talking about guys like Ronald Acuna Jr., Francisco Lindor, Tim Anderson, Bryce Harper, among others. When you talk about the, the change that, you know, like you said, that, that we're talking about, can you recall a time where, you, where we've seen this uh, sort of, this uh, class of players, not just one player, but a sort of class of players that seem to ha- be leading the charge against these sort of unwritten rules of the baseball establishment? Yeah, well, one feeds the next, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like I said, Puig, I think, was, was really the first to do it and do it to the point where he was clearly not paying attention to the critics and, and doing it not necessarily despite them, but in spite of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think a big turning point came with the World Baseball Classic a, a couple years back um, when, when it was played here in the United States. And we saw these Latin American teams from Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic um, playing for their home countries in the big league ballparks where these same guys play as major leaguers, but they were playing for their national team and they were not following these same unwritten rules. They were following the unwritten rules of their home countries. And they were hooting and hollering and having a great time. And we, as the viewing public, looked in and said, wow, this is better. Right. <laughs> this, is much, this is much better baseball to watch. And I think Major League Baseball took note of that as well, especially after these same guys, you know, finished the World Baseball Classic, went back to their big league teams and buttoned everything up immediately. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was the genesis for the let the kids play movement, you know, the, the official MLB marketing slogan, you know, they somehow put Mike Trout as the face of that, even though there's <laughs> a lot more pertinent guys. Right. Um, and, and now it's codified, right? Now now Major League Baseball is saying, yeah, go, go, you do you and celebrate and, and let's, let's do something different. Um, and until you run into a guy like Madison Bumgarner, you know, an old school crotchety pitcher 
who does not appreciate it and will respond in kind, whatever that looks like. There, I mean, there's still the discord around this whole thing, but the tide is inexorably turning in that direction. And this is not a tide that just sort of like, you know, shows up one day. It, it, it's a systemic thing. It takes a long time to sort of enact change like this. And I'm curious, you know, uh, there uh, a lot of this, I think, starts at the before they get to the major leagues. You know, there's there's a pretty clear divide to me, and you see a lot of it from like if a, if a guy came up through say travel ball, okay, if a guy comes up and the and the well groomed fields of the suburbs and they and they go in, they're sort of instilled in this sort of um, old school mentality, for lack of a better term. You know, the the respect the game, just go about your business, act like you've been there before. They're all phrases that kids that come up in travel ball, in showcases, they hear these things. And then you see on the other side of the spectrum, like you talked about, the, the Latin players in particular, not to single them out, but that's, that's just, you know, the style of play that we see. It, it, there's a lot more looseness. There's a lot more fun. There's a lot more sort of uh, I, I disregard for those sort of establishment rules. Do you feel like these rules uh, eventually, like that's where it's going to change uh, wholesale is at the, at the junior levels at the, before they get to the game? It's funny. I was at a travel ball game this morning. Okay. My, my son is 13. Um, his team beat a ball club yesterday to go in today's, today's Sunday bracket. Um, and that same team they beat yesterday started off strong. Leadoff hitter smacked a double down the line, got to second, and started screaming and flexing toward his dugout. Mm-hmm. And you don't see that a lot in, at this level of baseball, at least in, in my area in, in Northern California. You know, and, and, and I turned to the guy who I've coached with for years and years. And I'm like, man, what do you make of that? And he, he looked at me and would very clearly, he's like, we beat them yesterday. I, I think that's awesome. I think he's, he's fired up and he's firing up his, his teammates. And I did not have a word of argument with that. Right. Uh, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's I, I think it's filtering down it, 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 more than it's filtering up. Um, interesting. The, the one area that I think is really having an effect in that capacity is players reaching the big leagues sooner than ever. I mean, how much minor league time did Tatis Jr. have? Almost none. Right. Um, and which is where traditionally a lot of these unwritten rules have been instilled. Right. You've got you've got the veterans on on those triple A and even double A teams, you know, hammering the stuff into these guys over the course of four or five seasons before they ever reach the big leagues. That's not there anymore. It's it's all young guys now. And they get to the big leagues and they are fully formed superstars in the case of the actual superstars, you know, Tatis and Acuna and the like. Um, and and that gives them a lot more leeway to do what they're they're going to do because the veterans haven't been there to to teach them otherwise. Right. No, that's a good point because, yeah, it's almost like they show up to the game and they're having fun because they that's how they've played. They haven't had that time in the minor leagues to have the coaches hang promotions over them. Like, you know, hey, you got to act like you've been here before or, you know, you got to you know, you got to act, uh, you got to respect the game that could or if they don't, you know, that could they could go to the the farm directors or the staff and say, ah, you know, he doesn't he's not mature enough that sort of coded double speak that we put on young players, particularly young players of color that can sometimes prevent them from getting to the majors 
now it's, uh, I tend to agree with you. Now it's get them up, you know, uh, as soon as possible, as long as we can manipulate their service time. And, uh, you know, Caveat. yeah, exactly. Get them up there, you know, cause Kelnick needed to work on his defense, you know, that type mm-hmm. of, that type of stuff. Uh, so that, that's interesting to me. Like, and you have firsthand experience with that, you know, like you said, being, uh, you know, being at a travel ball game, I've always thought, you know, that's where it's going to really start to change is when we see the kids get up to the league having already done that. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's like any social change, right? You, you start to accept something at a certain level and at the next level, once there's another generation, it's just always been there. And there, there's never been a moment where you had to think about it. And so you just accept it. Um, you know, we can think about every liberal advancement this, this society has, has gone through. It's been the exact same thing. Um, and, and so, you know, that kid who's yelling at his teammates and firing them up is going to do it again next time it's appropriate unless, you know, unless some coach tamps it down. I, I know the coaches on our side of the field sure weren't. Right. Um, and, and, you know, more power to them. As long as they're not just, you know, if he was yelling in our dugout, that'd be different. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as a baseball coach myself, what I'll tamp down is you know, signs of disgust at an umpire's call or mm-hmm. signs of disgust that you've given up a, a big hit or more pertinently that one of your fielders hasn't made the play you wanted him to make. I'll have a conversation with a guy about that. But but I think that's a, you know, a different end of this kind of thing. That's a different kind of disrespect. Well, it's a, yeah. And it's a well, it's a different type of connotation, right? You're talking about negative reactions to events as opposed to positive reactions to events. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm totally on the same page with you. There's a difference between, say, correcting behavior that's accentuating negative things to, as opposed to allowing space for celebration. You know, that I feel like we have trouble sometimes. Nuance is not a, not a uh, luxury that most Americans, especially Americans on social media, are afforded, but it's something that I think we, we generally struggle with. There's nuance to this. There, there are really, you know, I think sometimes the folks who uh, complain about this, not all the time, but like, you know, there, there's an overwhelming sentiment of like, oh, well, everything's allowed. And I don't, I, I don't think that's the case. I think there's a huge spectrum of the, the, what many would call the new school or the more celebratory style of baseball. And Absolutely. I mean, first off, I think you and I need to start a podcast called Struggling with Nuance. <laughs> yes. Endless, endless content. But, you know, I, I think back to an event that that really propelled the baseball codes um, into the upper stratosphere of book sales. I think the, the same month it came out in 2010, which which covers a lot of this stuff in, in really interesting ways and, and, and very nuanced ways, which was when. Alex Rodriguez in in Oakland at the Coliseum um, was at third base when I believe the third out was made or he was thrown out. I can't remember the exact situation, but he had to return to the visitor's dugout. Mm-hmm. And he did it by crossing directly through the diamond and over the pitcher's mound. Dallas Braden, yeah. Dallas Braden, the, the rookie pitcher, was on that mound and he gave him an earful. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, what is the rookie doing <laughs> shouting at the superstar? And what is he shouting about? Like, who ever heard of this rule that that you can't cross a pitcher's mound? At which point, you know, I raised my hand and said, actually, I just put a book about it. And there's a whole chapter 
devoted to this very subject that we yeah. cut because there wasn't space. Look, like, boy, did I do the look. research on that. <laughs> There's a reference. My editor was like, no one's ever heard of this rule. It's never come up, you know, in the last 10 years that I can remember. And I'm like, I can't remember it either. So we cut it. And like, <laughs> after the book comes out, there it is on, on national news. But suddenly everyone's paying attention to this issue of respect. Yeah. And, and whether or not you agreed with it then, and, you know, let's be honest, a lot of the people who agreed with those kind of things then might disagree with them now. Things have changed. Right. Yeah. But it, then, mm-hmm. and it was also a matter of like, this is this is the pitcher's office. You don't come tromping through it. Um, and because it was the Bay Area, because I'm based in the Bay Area, I got to talk to Dallas Braden numerous times over the you know the coming weeks about this. And, and he was very firm, you know, and, and, and in convincing ways. He's like, I have I have no business as a pitcher going to a batter's box and like kicking the dirt around. Right. That's that's his space. Right. Mm-hmm. The, that would be disrespectful of me. He's got to stay out of my space. And I get that. I get that argument. Um, much like all the unwritten rules, even the th- don't swing three. Oh, I understand it. I don't I don't necessarily agree with it, but I get where it's coming from. Right. I think that's that's the that's the big divide here. I think that's the problem is that there there can't be uh, again more content for our for our upcoming podcast podcast struggling with nuance struggling with nuance yeah exactly it's it's so hard for people to wrap their head around the idea that like. I don't disagree either with the swinging three O or with the, you know, with all of that, even the Yermin Mercedes situation, I think is ridiculous on its face. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, I mean, I kind of get it. It's like, all right, it, it's three O, you know, that's fine, but I don't agree. I don't agree with it either because there's more to it than, than that. But the point is, is that we can all agree like, okay, yeah, I mean, I see your point, but that's not how we feel about it. You know what I mean? There's, there's a possibility there. And I think that's the problem is that that middle ground of like, yeah, I, I get it. I think you're wrong, but I get it. There is none of that. And there's the that. problem. And I, I think let's, let's keep the topic on your mean Mercedes swinging three mm-hmm. Um, I don't think a lot of people get it. You know, right. I, I heard, you know, the, the overwhelming majority of Twitter opinions involve something along the lines of Tony LaRusa is a moron and let the kid play, which, you know, on their surface is fine and, and, and correct. And I, you know, I more or less agree with, um, but they don't get the nuance of it. And, right. and the nuance of it is, is the genesis of that rule. It didn't come out of nowhere, right? In a blowout game, when a pitcher is clearly struggling and you, you don't want to see a bunch of guys starting to walk hitters, which extends a game that no one wants to extend. Everyone wants to go back to the clubhouse and drink a beer and go home. Um, you don't want him nibbling. And if, if the pitcher is out there struggling and you have the leeway in a game that's already salted away to let him find a sense of balance, you give him a small sliver, one pitch at three Oh, right. Get a pump in a fastball, find your bearings and let's, let's play. Right. right. No one says stop playing um, or any of that. Right. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of old school baseball guys who grew up with this and live by this and will defend this, until the day they die. And they have explained it to me so eloquently with so many great stories that I understand it. Right. And the game is different now. It's suitably, it should be different. And Mercedes had every right to swing 3 0, but I understand those who say he shouldn't have. Yeah. I mean, and that's, and I think that's the, that's part of the issue here too is that part of the, the folks who took issue with that 
what we find is the sort of objective versus the subjective. Like we keep talking about these intangible things like respect the game, respect the game. But I think one of the things we run into is that that comes across, at least to me sometimes, when I hear it from sources like, say, Tony La Russa, who uh, is a certified doofus, uh, I hear I hear that as coded, as, co- as coded doublespeak. I hear that as like, when you say respect the game, that's a suppression of emotional, emotional response. It's a, res- it's a suppression of uh, celebration. And for a guy like uh, your mean Mercedes, uh, who you know, like is is a guy uh, twenty. Uh, he's an older rookie. I forget his age off the top of my head. Uh, twenty-eight. Yeah, he's twenty-eight year old rookie. A guy who's been in the minors. And when you talk about a guy who's going to get paid on the fact that, like, hey, you know, he's entering arbitration. You know, maybe that nineteen versus twenty home run season these days, maybe twenty nine versus thirty home run season. Maybe that makes a difference. I don't have any issue with a guy taking taking hacks, especially if you put a position player on the mound. I think that's that that we start getting into some weird territory there, right? Right. But, when when you get a, a two hundred eighty pound catcher throwing forty seven miles, right? Hour, right. You've you've already diminished the game to a certain degree. Right. right. I don't. I don't and, get it. I don't get the. I don't get the. I I get where they're coming from with the with the like you said. The rule didn't come out of nowhere. And if you were to explain to me the situation and not told me like, Hey, it's a position player throwing knucklers up there. I'm, I, I get it. I think it's hard sometimes because like we talked about the, there's a, there's a divide where we keep coming back to the same tenants that in today's society, maybe sound expired or they sound outdated or at worst, like you said, coded, coded speak. Yeah, and I'm not frequently one to defend Tony La Russa right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've said it multiple times over recent weeks. He is a he is a great ambassador for baseball that he played coming up in the 1960s. He is a great ambassador for baseball that he managed in the 1970s and 1980s. He is a terrible ambassador for the modern game. Right. That said, the one thing he said in that same press conference in which he decried Mercedes that no one is repeating was I'm cool with celebration, right? You want to flip a bat after a big hit, go for it. And, and that opened my eyes because that's Tony LaRusso saying, it, right? right? Yeah, no, that's, that's true. Yeah. Not something that would have flown with him 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, so even, even LaRusso is, is um, evolving in certain ways. Um, and I don't think we've, we've given it enough space to figure out exactly what those ways are or, or how pervasive they may have taken hold, but, but it's happening. Right. And, and that's, and again, it's, it's that knee jerk thought process of like, we see a situation as black and white, you know what I mean? Like this is, this is disrespectful or this is exactly what we need. Like, I feel like you talked about it earlier, the tides of change, you know, they move gradually, they move over time. And Every time, like with just the other night, every time I think like, you know, because because for those who don't know, and many of us don't, Jason and I have have, have uh, scheduled and rescheduled this this many times. And I always think like, why anyone know this? <laughs> so like, well, I don't know why anyone would know this, but like I, my, my wife doesn't know this. <laughs> she probably should. But, she doesn't. <laughs> but like it, 
it just keeps coming up. It's almost like you and I could have this conversation anytime and we would be no, no, no shorter on things to talk about. Like the, the sticky stuff with the pictures, right? The, just when I think that conversation is dying down, here comes, you know, uh, Cardinal, Cardinal's pitch. Uh, oh man, I already forgot his name. This is how, this is what I'm prepared. Sounds oh. like people. Well, he's, he's a young guy. I've already forgotten. His yeah. G- Gallego. I'm so really sorry. I think, Gallegos, yeah. yeah. So he, his hat gets confiscated and then Schilt decides like to have uh, go on a rant during the, during the post game pro- press conference, not so subtly, you know, calling out uh, pitchers like Trevor Bauer, specifically Trevor Bauer about their, their use of, of substances and things like that. I feel like, like you said, this is a conversation that we are having in these little spurts because then the next day, Tatis Jr. has a absolutely magnificent, like, uh, admiration moment watching a watching a home run go over the wall. Um, how do you? I guess like, what what's your thoughts on on all of that? Like, you know, as you see these these things continue to pop up, like, what's going through your head as somebody who's so versed in this when you see things like that? What's going through my head is, oh, I had this morning scheduled to do other work, but I guess I'm writing about this now. <laughs> <laughs> like whenever it crops up, like my first thought is like, nothing to write about today. <laughs> I can actually get other stuff done. I mean, the, um, look, the Tatis thing's been talked about ad nauseum, and and it's it's, it's it's a lot of it's the same conversation over and over again. The sticky stuff thing is really interesting to me because. You, you every time you get someone that says like, oh, you know, this is bad. You, somebody counters with, oh, well, the, the batters like it too. I I don't know. This is this seems almost this seems ext- way murkier than we're giving than we're giving it credit for right now. It, it is. Um, back in the day, batters did not mind a bit of pine tar on a baseball for that for that reason you just mentioned. Um, Pitchers would use it, especially on cold nights and or wet nights, to increase their grip, which helped slippage, which meant fewer batters would get hit unintentionally by by balls that that sail on a pitcher. Um, Pitchers back then, some pitchers back then could use it to increase spin on a ball. No one really was was enumerating what that actually meant at the time. Um, but, you know, I, I talked to enough hitters who, you know, picked up baseballs in the middle of a game and would see you know, two black fingerprints, right, where right. The, the pitcher's fingers had been. Um, and that was also back in the day when the catcher wouldn't throw out a baseball every time it hit the dirt and get a new one. So you'd, you'd have to have the same baseball in play for a number of pitches. Um, now, I and, and this is all speculation on my part, but now that you have things like Rapsodo and the ability to judge spin rate so intricately internally, let alone externally, but, but, you know, within an organization, you can tell exactly what loading up a baseball will do for you with different grips using different releases and maximize the potential of a given breaking pitch or even a fastball um, with extra movement by loading it up with that pine tar that has been so readily accepted across baseball. And suddenly what's, what's helped with slippage is now helping you dominate. And for me, the reason this is so important now in terms of the unwritten rules is that baseball is broken. Mm-hmm. As a league, baseball hitters are hitting three, 235 with a ton of home runs and a ton of strikeouts. 
You know, I saw someone compare it the other day um, to Dave Kingman's career line. Baseball is effectively Dave Kingman right now. God, which, where, where did which I, is not I heard really that too. what anyone wants to see? Right. Yeah. Nobody. It, it, it'd be. It's a less. It, I think we have, in some ways, lost sight of the concept that baseball is an entertainment product. And I, I and I think that the competitive advantage that used to be, you know, when you were in analytics, when you were embracing the writings of Bill James, you were ahead of your time. Now the the mar- the margin between the least and most advanced teams has narrowed to a pinpoint, and this is the this is what we get with that sometimes. And that's not decrying analytics or anything like that, but. It, it, the window is closing in terms of the, you know, the, uh, competitive advantage. And like you were saying, you know, this is the result. You get these Dave Kingman, uh, Mark Reynolds type of careers and, and, and stat li- and slash lines across the season. Not, not, not careers. That's as a league, That's right? Everybody combined. <laughs> um, right now it's, I mean, it's, it's, I won't say it's unwatchable because I watch a lot of baseball and mm-hmm. I, I enjoy the hell out of it, but, you know, baseball has been a balancing act forever, right? Figuring out the the proper length of distance between the bases and how far the mound should be and how high the mound should be and how tightly wound the baseball should be. And there's they're always making minor adjustments, um, or at least they were until they figured out the, the right answers. And it's clear that some adjustments currently need to be made between the defensive shifts and the pitching dominance. Um, it, it's not, there. there is no balance. The balance is so wildly in favor of the pitching. Right. And defense that that adjustments need to be made, and you know you see baseball trying to respond to it in all kinds of ludicrous ways, right? Um, and there there are much easier solutions afoot, um, but at least at least you know someone's paying attention. Yeah, and, and so uh, when it comes to the uh, you know when we talk about like like you said the the way that they're trying to combat these things, is there. I wonder what new rules, unwritten rules, are going to start to come when we see things like robot umpires, when we start to see like the potential, I don't know if anything would really come of the lengthening of the mound, of the distance from home plate to the mound necessarily, but I wonder what will spring up from those potential things that come up. I wonder what's going to spring up if this second runner, ghost runner, uh, as my co-host Jim calls it, the zombie runner on second base, uh, I wonder what that, what that could bring about. You know, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, yeah. you, you, you've got the, the increasing size of the bases potentially, which could lead to different kind of issues when it comes to takeout slides. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm still sliding directly into the base, but now I have much, a much wider right. <laughs> area to slide into. Who knows? Like it, you know, there's, it's always unintended consequences. Um, so yeah, the, the, the unwritten rules of the game will, will adjust accordingly because they are what players say they are. And players will ultimately have an opinion one way or another. All right. Um, I have uh, one more question, and and we'll have to leave it there. But my, I'm, I'm well, actually, one question, then a follow up question. The so when you talk about one thing, we're starting to see is a lot of players talking about and sort of questioning a lot of the unwritten rules. Unfortunately, sometimes these uh, vessels are not exactly desirable. Again, we I, I mentioned Trevor Bauer. Um, kind of insufferable as vessel, yeah, like a vessel for like, you know, questioning the establishment and things of that nature. Um, uh, he, he's a generally, I find him quite insufferable, but he's one of those things where I had another guest tell me that sums it up. He's a broken clock. He's kind of right twice a day. Um, 
my curiosity is, will we start to see, I wonder how, like you think of like, say like uh, players that are, are we going to see more questioning, open questioning of the establishment? Are we going to start seeing open debate about these rules more so than we have in the past? I, it's possible, but I wouldn't use Bauer as a yardstick for that. Mm -hmm. That guy has been in open rebellion since before he got to the big leagues. Um, and and I, I personally like him. I mean, I, I do accept that he has many troublesome qualities. Right, yeah. Um, and I don't like everything he does or says. But I, I do like his independence of, of thought and independence of spirit, um, especially when it comes to approaching the craft of pitching. And he has always held that. You know, one of, right. one of uh, the most read stories I've ever written was for SB Nation. And this is probably kind of 20... 14, give or take, mm -hmm. um, Bauer had just um, unintentionally or intentionally, I'm not even sure, engineered his departure from the Diamondbacks by questioning their pitch selection, especially of his veteran catchers over and over and insisting that that he, he work with his pitching plan. And his pitching plan was super well-defined, really well laid out and made a ton of sense. Um, he had no nuance in integrating it into the game plan of, of his employer, and thus they got rid of him. Um, and, you know, talking to him over the years, he didn't back down from from his approach to the game, but he did say he had learned how to play well with others, right? Right. How, how to, how to m map his goals onto the goals of the team and the catcher he was working with. So everyone got what they wanted and it's it still more or less worked out. Um, and and I appreciate that. And there's obviously a lot of nuance in there and we could talk for an hour about what that actually looks like. That's on our um, other podcast. Sure. I mean, go, go Google effective velocity, Trevor, Trevor Bauer and my name, and you'll see a big, long story. That's really interesting <laughs> yeah, there uh, you go. because I wrote it, but because it's an interesting story. Um, and, and he continues to do it. Right. right. He, I, what, what I love about the current pine tar controversy is Bauer is going to win. Right. He came out a couple of years ago, said way too many pitchers are using pine tar. It's getting too big an advantage and baseball needs to crack down on it. And baseball proceeded to ignore him entirely. So he said, OK, I'm going to try this during an inning in spring training. Let's see what happens. And he did it and he was dominant and and baseball did not respond. And what Bauer do? He started loading up every game all season long and won a Cy Young Award. Right. Right. And he's doing it again. And he is daring baseball to act. So he's got one of two possible outcomes. Either baseball continues to do nothing. Bauer will continue to win more Cy Youngs and, and will be happy and awesome. Or baseball will crack down entirely. Bauer will stop. It'll be a level playing field. And Bauer will have gotten what he wanted in the first place. Right. So I, I give him a lot of credit either way. Right. He's he, he's thought all this out as he does with many, many issues. Fair enough. No, I, actually, I, I absolutely acknowledge that and hadn't thought about it in that, in that way before. Like, but you're right. He, he's put himself in a win-win situation, uh, when it comes to MLB specifically to how MLB has treated this. And, um, yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way. So that's really interesting. I have to ask as this continues to evolve, are we, could, could there be like a sequel to the baseball codes? Oh yeah, <laughs> like, I, like I've, I've blogged about this stuff repeatedly for eleven years now since the book came out. Right? Is there? Could you? Would you book? do another book? 
I could start right now and like just start <laughs> re-reporting. I mean, to be honest, like we talked about it at the time the book came out, there was so much stuff that didn't fit in. We talked about writing, you know, a volume two. Right. Um, and, and baseball codes did really, really well. It, it exceeded everybody's expectations. Um, the publisher's mind, like I didn't know what to expect, but you know, Random House was, was delighted. Um, but in numerous conversations with them since, they think a big piece of it was the novelty, right? Someone is explaining the unwritten rules, yay. Um, so, somebody explains the unwritten rules again is is less appealing to them. Right. <laughs> There's not like, it, it's you're more continuing the story as opposed to breaking the story necessarily. It, exactly. And mm-hmm. I think what, what the book did for a lot of people, myself included, right? I was a professional sports writer when I started writing it. And it allowed me a peek behind the curtain in ways that I had never really known how baseball works, what to look for between pitches. There's so much going on. Um, and, you know, a lot of it means nothing, but some of it means, means something, something. Yeah. And, and knowing what to look for to find that something is, is really fun and interesting. And and researching this book allowed me to do that. And hopefully, you know, the message of the book allows other people to do that. That's no, that that's awesome. And, uh, Jason, I am, uh, first of all, everyone should go look at, uh, Jason's other works like fantastic bombastic, Wait, dynastic, dynastic, bombastic, fantastic. If we're going to do a podcast together, Adam, <laughs> I really need to get this get right. About a lot of things. <laughs> oh man. And then they bled blue. I got that one, right? Yeah. Um, look at Jason's other work. It's fantastic. Uh, pandemic baseball book club as well. Uh, Jason, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show, man. I would say it's always a pleasure to talk to you on your podcast, but this is the first time. This is the first so time. It has been a pleasure to talk <laughs> to you on your podcast for the first time. Thanks, Jason.